So welcome to our Lord's. Super glad you're here. We are a community of worship and what? Formation on mission with Jesus. And so the Lord is showing us more and more what that means. And a big part of what we're talking about today is that we are a worshiping people. We're the Lord's unlikely Gideon army, aren't we? And so we've been talking about different expressions of the life of the church, even in a strange season like this. So on Sundays, for those who want to be here, and hello to those who are live streaming, bless you, we make space for all the different perspectives on what's happening with a virus, don't we? So we're doing our best to social distance here and do those things, but if you need to stay home, you're welcome to. But on Sundays, we come together and we do three things. We do worship, the word, and works. And those are values of ours and they're vineyard values. We worship, we look into the word of God, and we learn to do the works of Jesus. And then during the week, we have groups. And again, we've been talking about it in recent weeks. Um, it's challenging to figure out how do we do groups with all of this going on, with the virus. And I've just said we are determined and we're going to figure out ways to do it. There'll be some that meet with social distancing, some that will meet uh, via Zoom. We're going to figure it out, right? And then I also mentioned that we do things at times like August 14th and 15th, we're going to have a leadership weekend. And rather than going somewhere, we're going to have it here. So beginning Friday, August 14th at 7 o'clock, we're going to spend some time together and we're looking at uh, becoming a vineyard. So we'll be talking about those things, but we'll also be looking at very practical leadership and ministry skills. So we'll do that on Friday night from 7 to 10. We have plenty of time to wait on the Lord and do some things. And then Saturday, we're going to keep it really simple. We're going to meet from 9.30 to noon, and then we'll be free. Sound good? And I urge you to come. And even if you say, well, I'm not a leader and I'm not real, you're an influencer. And so all Christians carry a measure of leadership. And so we're going to look at really practical things that will be worth your time. So these are exciting days, and we're in week two of Becoming a Vineyard, our series. And I mentioned last week that we're deep into this process of joining the vineyard movement and leaving the RCA graciously and on good terms and joining uh, the vineyard family. And we're excited about that. So we're taking this window of time to learn more about the vineyard movement and I just want to say, we've got a growing resource center out there. How many of you have seen it? You've been looking at the resource center. Everything in there is carefully curated. So we have readings across the board. And one that I'm going to recommend, it's out there today, is called the Vineyard DNA, Essential History, Values, and Practices of the Vineyard Movement. It's actually a page turner. Believe it or not, this is really interesting and there's story woven into it and it's rich and substantive. So I encourage you to grab one of those. And there's also photocopies of one chapter on worship. And so you can grab that for free. And I think, Connie, did we say, are they 10? Was that cost on this? Wherever Connie is, I think it's like 10 bucks. And if at any time cost is a problem, we, we just charge what we pay for it talk to me, talk to someone else, and we will get you free books, all right? So 
grab one of those if you would like, and we have many more. So we are looking at the vineyard. We're deep into this process, and I mentioned last week that we're going to be voting in the coming months, that one of the RCA protocols is that as a church, we, as one body, get to vote on whether or not we think the vineyard is a fit. And so it's important to be here, and we'll be talking about um, on-ramps into membership and some of these things. I don't want to bog us down with too many details, but I like that. I mentioned that I like that the RCA requires that. If you're going to leave the RCA and join another movement, it needs to be a fit. And I appreciate that hugely. So we will be talking about this, and I've mentioned before, you can email me at any point with questions you might have. Brad, a staff person, along the way, we want to make sure that we're addressing questions and knowing exactly where we're going and what that looks like. It's interesting. The Milners are out of quarantine. Praise Jesus. Are we glad? So that was on Wednesday night, right? Thursday, so you're out of quarantine, and Leighton said that he loves quarantine and wants to do many more months of it, right? Leighton, not true. So we're glad that you're alive and well, and we are actually planting a vineyard in Guam. We'll look at this more in a few minutes, but Mike, again, is going to preach, and we're going to say goodbye officially to them on August 9th, so make sure that you're there for that. So this series, last week, what did we look at last week? Anybody remember? Kingdom of God. That is right. So that really is, we looked at the kingdom of God and how central that is, not only to the scriptures, to the ministry of Jesus, but to the vineyard movement. If I had to just say one word, what is the vineyard about? It's kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. And we looked at Mark 1 and other places where Jesus, that was his message. And it's a kingdom of love. It's unlike any other kingdom or empire. And it subverts all the others and overpowers the others through sacrifice and self-giving and love. So today we're going to look at the Father's love and worship. And then next week we're going to look at walking with the Holy Spirit like Jesus so today, worship. And to frame what we're going to look at today, I'm only going to talk about two things, but before we do that, I want to say that there's two forces at work in history. And so I want to situate what we're talking about today in a broader context. Two forces, two dynamics at work in history. And one is the ache of the human race to be loved. Have you ever thought of that? There's an ache in the human heart. We are created to long for something, for someone. It's how we're designed. And St. Augustine said that our heart is restless until it rests in God. That is the story that's playing out before us. With all the craziness and the nuances, there is an ache, a longing in you, in me, in the peoples of the nations to be loved. And we look in different places. And so what I want us to think about today is the second dynamic. There is an unstoppable plan that God has, that God is working out in human history, in the nations right now, and that is to 
satisfy the ache of the human heart and to raise up worship across the planet, to raise up worshipers across the planet. Jesus says, look at John 4, 23. He says this. We looked at this a few weeks back, but in John 4, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And it's a very personal interaction. And he lets us know something about God's unstoppable plan. Something about what God determines. And look at this, John 4, 23. But the hour is coming, he's telling this woman from Samaria. And it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Look at this. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. So this is one of the forces that's playing out in human history right now. Now, does God seek because he needs? What do you think? Yes, no. God does not need anything. God seeks worshipers so that he can overflow out of his own person and infinite being and goodness and fill the earth with his glory and with his grace and love. So God is seeking not out of, I've got to find something that will satisfy the need that, no, no, no. God, we looked at what Maximus the Confessor said last week. God is an overflowing ocean of goodness and love. And he's seeking places where he can pour that out and lavish it. Friends, this is God's project. Let's look at this. We're going to start with 1 John 3, 1 to 9. That's the first point that we're looking at this morning, and that is the Father loves us, and we're his children. And if you're not a believer, if you haven't give, given your life to Jesus and said, Jesus is Lord, and I give myself to him, today's a good day to do that. So I'm addressing the church and saying the Father loves all of us, but if you're a believer and you've believed the gospel and you follow Jesus, then you're his, his kid. 1 John 3, 1 and 19, listen to what this says about the Father's love as we look at these two dynamics playing out. 1 John 3, 1 and 19. I love hearing those pages turn. Some of you may have seen we've got new pew Bibles that I've sprinkled out here. I try to keep the Bibles socially distanced. It's kind of funny. So we have more that we'll be bringing out. I'm glad someone thought that was funny. It wasn't very funny. It was a dad joke, but thank you for laughing. So 1 John 3, 1 says this. The Apostle John is writing to the church and says, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And then look at verse 19. We love, what's your Bible say? Why do we love? Houston, we love because he first loved us. So God is initiating this whole thing. The Father is full of love, oceans of love and goodness and kindness. And we're able to respond to him, and that's the heart of worship. 
I want to read something. Again, if we're looking at the vineyard, I want to read some excerpts, and I'm reading from this book that I recommended here, The Vineyard DNA. On page 110, it's speaking about this, the Father's love, and about the Lord pursuing us. Listen to what it says. We express our love to God in worship, not because we started this love relationship. So you hear that, 1 John 3, but because God did. From Genesis to Revelation, God reveals himself to be the pursuer of your heart and mine. It is God who first loved us and pursued us, and it is we who are the objects of God's undying affection. So it's just really meditating on 1 John 3, 1 and 19. Worship is a simple response to God's unconditional love. We can complicate, listen to this, we can complicate worship in a thousand different ways, but we will always come back to this truth. God loves us even before we do one thing. And then I'll end with this. Listen, worship creates an environment in which we can let go of all our striving and fall into the loving arms of the Father. So friends, the Father loves us, and we're his children, and he is in pursuit of us. Look at Luke 15, 20 to 24. If, in fact, the Father loves us, and those who have confessed the lordship of Jesus, given themselves to him, they are his children. Look at Luke 15, 20 to 24. Beautiful picture. Some of you, as you're turning there, you're going, ah, I know this passage. Luke 15, 20 to 24. And this story really is about two brothers, and one of the brothers takes all that he has and goes and squanders it and gets himself into all kinds of entanglements and ends up basically in a, a pig pen eating the slop. And the text says that he came to his senses. His conscience was awakened. What am I doing here eating pig slop, living in the mud? And so look at verse 20. So this one who was in the pig pen eating slop, who came to his senses, set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And his father ran and put his arms around the son and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But look at the, what the father says. Verse 22, the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is a picture of the father, isn't it? Jesus 
is telling us what the heart of the Father is like. This is the God that we get to worship. Not some mean, stingy, keeping score, but this kind of radical love that pursues us. Anyone ever identify with being in the pig pen, eating a little slop? I've done that many times. And thankfully, the Lord will bring me to my senses. And when I turn to him, he's not sitting there with his arms folded going, about time, punk. I've invested so much in you, and I'm disappointed in you, Brock. Not one time. Never. He is this kind of God. He sees me coming, and he runs and wraps his arms around me and kisses me with love and affection, and I'm like, this is why I can't go anywhere else. You, you have just, I'm ruined, and you will not give up on me. And I just want to say, friends, in the coming days, we are going to have many prodigals coming to our Lord's. Some of you are prodigals. And the Lord says, come home. I love you. And I want to embrace you and transform your life and take all of your brokenness and heal it. But friends, we're going to make space here in the coming days for prodigals because I'm telling you, they're coming. There are many of them all over Oklahoma City, Edmond, this region. And we're putting a flag in the ground and saying, prodigals, welcome here. Father, bring them and do your work in them. Save them, fill them with your spirit. And really this whole project, I love it. I was listening to John Wimber's wife, Carol, and she was saying this whole thing, the kingdom of God, the establishment of the church, bringing prodigal, it is God's project. It is about the mercy of God, not us. Are there things that are required of us and expected as disciples of Jesus? You bet. But in the end, is this thing unfolding and moving and is the kingdom established because of your obedience? Because of your discipline and your sanctity and your holiness or mine? No, this is God's project. Salvation history, the transformation of all things, bringing prodigals home, saving people is the mercy of God. This is the Father who loves us. Look at Romans 8, 15. Again, looking at how lavish this is. Romans 8, 15. The Father's extravagant compassion and love in Luke 15 and now Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. And the Apostle Paul learned this from Jesus. One of the things that Jesus did and practiced, and it really upset the religious people, but he would pray, Abba, Father. He would pray. He had a connection with the Father that he was demonstrating to his disciples and saying, you can call him Father too. You can relate to him this way. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a legalistic God. He's Abba, Father. And so the Apostle Paul picks this up from the life of Jesus. Galatians 4, 6 says the same thing. We won't look at it, but I'll read it. You can see it on the slide. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So friends, if you're a believer, you get to pray 
and relate to the Father just like Jesus did. Abba. Abba. Let's say that to Abba Father. Abba Father. And it really is. It's a very tender, endearing word. It's, as some of you know, it's like saying Papa or Daddy. Very intimate. And yes, He is the Lord and King of the universe, but for believers, He's Abba. Listen to what John Wimber says. He says, adoption, which was common among the Greeks and Romans, granted all the privileges of a natural son, including full inheritance rights. But heavenly adoption as sons and daughters is superior to human adoption. You hear that? It goes far beyond the legal rights of Greek and Roman adoption promising that as we grow up in Christ, we are transformed into the Father's likeness, taking on his attributes of love, mercy, compassion, and holiness. So this adoption in Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, transforms who we are. Adoption. So in worship, Really, the essence of it, what we do here on a Sunday, what we do in groups, what you do in your homes, what you do in your car, what you do in your school, the heart of it is receiving the Father's love. Father, I'm here, Abba. I'm yours. You love me, and I love you back. I love you because you loved me first. You pursue me. You embrace me. You never, ever give up on me. How can I not worship you? How can I not give myself to you? Friends, this is exciting. And then he authorizes us as his kids. So as you relate to him, he says, you're mine. Here is authority and power to go and be like my beloved son. We're going to look at that next week to do his works, to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. In an hour like this, think about this. If this message really blossoms in the heart of the church, and sometimes we lose it, so we have to retrieve it, the Father's love and our worship in response. If this happened, think what this would do in the midst of racism, division, and hate. If under the love of the Father, the church comes together and says, we're one. This is what Martin Luther King talked about. He said, I dream about kids of all colors playing together and doing life together. Friends, that doesn't just happen. The church is what brings that. The kingdom of God, the gospel, is what enables King's dream to come true. That's the Father's dream. That people turn from hate and division, white, black, all the various ethnicities, and we come together as the Father's family. That's another thing we're going to be seeing in the coming days. The Lord is going to bring family members from all over and show us what his plan of diversity looks like. Do you want to be a part of that? I do. And I've mentioned before, I was part of college life for 12 years, and we did what we call forced diversity. And so we would have programs and throw money into it. You know, it may help a little bit, but God's diversity plan is radically different. And that is, I will make you one through the gospel of my son, and you will worship 
me before my throne together. That's the project that's unfolding in the earth. Revelation 5 and 7 talk about it. A second thing regarding worship, the Father's love, is that in worship, very simply, we're giving ourselves to the Lord. And I want to look at a few passages that reiterate this. And really the whole point this morning of this, we're looking at this, we're becoming a vineyard, and worship is central to the vineyard. I just want to read this, okay? This, I know there are several quotes here, but it's important to hear from the founder and some of the key leaders in the movement, the vineyard. Listen to what Wimber said again. He said this in 1992. We in the vineyard have, from the very beginning, made worship our highest priority, believing that it is God's desire that we become first worshipers of God. Amen? So that is who we are, and it's who we're becoming even more. Worship is central. Worship is the thing. In the future, in the age to come, what are we going to be involved in adoration and worship and unfolding things that God has planned? But worship will be at the heart of it. Look at Acts 13. This is a passage that Mike preached on a few months back, and it's become a really important passage and there is something tucked in there about worship. Acts 13, 1 to 3. See if you can find it there as we look at worship, giving ourselves to the Lord. Look for this, this line. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. So the point is there's a group of people from various nations and walks of life. They're all part of the church. And look what they're doing at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. At verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord, this word actually means ministering to the Lord. Friends, there is something in worship where you and I get to minister to the Lord. Does that seem strange or abstract? What do you mean by ministering to the Lord? I just want to give you, what do you think that is? What does it mean to minister to the Lord? Again, it's not because he needs something. You minister to him and he gives to you. And he gives to me because he's overflowing, but he gives us access. The scriptures say that all Christians are priests to God. The apostle Peter says it in 2 Peter 2.5. This is the universal priesthood of all believers. If you are a believer, he says you have access to me. You can minister to me just like the Old Testament priest would enter the Holy of Holies. Now, as a New Testament Christian, you get to enter the Holy of Holies, and greater still, you are the Holy of Holies. The Lord resides in you, and you get to minister to him. Friends, that is stunning. Is that stunning? This is lifting our vision. It's not just about singing a few songs and punching the card of attendance. I mean, we are called as priests to minister 
in the Lord's presence. The vineyard has this phrase called touching the Father's heart. Touching the Father's heart. And that is what it means to minister to the Lord. Lord, I'm in your presence. I get to meditate on the scriptures. I get to pray. I get to do this alone. I get to do it with friends. I get to do it with brothers and sisters. But we want to touch your heart. Show us how to touch your heart. How to be touched by you and to touch your heart. Now, I'm sensing some of us have father issues, okay? So this whole father symbol and metaphor and picture can be troubling. Some of you are saying, if you only knew my dad, every time you say father, my skin crawls. So friends, this is healing for all of us. Those are bad things. There's some bad dads, some bad fathers, and we acknowledge that, but that doesn't mean we can't be healed and transformed by the good Father. He can heal us. He can drive those things from our hearts and transform us. So this, when we give ourselves to the Lord, is a lifestyle of worship, isn't it? Let's look at another verse or two here, and then we'll shift gears here. So look at James 4, 7 to 8. In worship, we're giving ourselves to the Lord. That involves ministering to the Lord as his priests enabled to do that by the blood of Jesus. And then James adds another little stroke or aspect here. James 4, 7 through 8. I'm only going to read through the first part of verse 8. James says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as you look at this text here, what are the verbs? There's three of them. Let me hear what they are. Submit. What's the next one? Resist. What's, and draw near. I call this SRD. SRD. I remember the first time I memorized this, The Lord said, there's a secret in here about worship and about growing in holiness. And it's S-R-D. This is the heart of worship right here. We submit to God. Just like we did this morning, what were we singing? All hail King Jesus. We submit to you, our Lord. And we voluntarily give ourselves to you, body, soul, and spirit. We submit to you gladly. You're good. What we also do, I don't know about some of you, but even this morning, did anyone have to resist the enemy even in the act of worship this morning? Anyone? I did. Thoughts come, anxiety, anger, various things that are coming. And I say, I resist those things and I'm submitting to you, Lord. And I resist that and the enemy flees. And then what's it say at the end there? Draw near to God. So this is really the crux of, of worship, submitting, resisting, drawing near. And the text says that he'll draw near to us. Friends, he's not far off. He's not far off. Where, where is the Lord ultimately? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Jerry, where are you pointing? We, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to put your hand over your heart right now and say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. A little bit louder. Temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the apostolic truth from the New Testament. 
I love it. This is why I love some of the older voices, the classic voices. Uh, Teresa of Avila, a Spanish woman of prayer, said that for many years she searched for God. Where are you? Where are you? I can't find you. And she read St. Augustine, and St. Augustine said, based on Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you. So turn and find the indwelling king in the core of your heart. Is that beautiful? Now, does that mean that he's not also the transcendent king of the universe? Of course not. We're not collapsing it in. He is near and within, but he's also the sovereign Lord. But if we're looking for him out here, it can be frustrating. He indwells us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Mike. Hebrews 12. Let's look at two more verses. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Again, in worship, we give ourselves to the Lord. Another little aspect of giving ourselves to the Lord. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. So another part of giving ourselves to the Lord in worship is that we're receiving the kingdom. We looked at that last week. So every time you and I worship in here, in your car, you're receiving the kingdom. The king is there. The king indwells here, and there's a kingdom breakthrough, whether you realize it or not. Receive the kingdom in worship. The rule and reign of Almighty God breaking in that moment if you worship. Receiving the kingdom. Giving thanks. Thanks becomes the channel through which the presence of God flows. And then it says here, reverence and awe. I feel like we were touching on this this morning, weren't we? There is joy, and Brad was referencing that Zephaniah 317 passage. God sings and shouts and dances, and there is a joy in God. But friends, there's also awe and reverence, and it's coming. In the coming days, I'm I'm sensing the Lord saying, I'm going to show you what this means. And I think the men are touching on that some in the prayer time that they're having once a week and our intercessors brace ourselves for the reverence and awe that's coming. I think I want to end with this. 1 Corinthians 14. We'll end with this and then I'll have Luke and Colt come up. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are talking about in worship we give ourselves to the Lord. We're the body of Christ. The Lord manifests his presence. He distributes the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He activates them in each person for the common good. And then verse 14 says that there is something that happens as outsiders or visitors come. Look at verse 14, I mean uh, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 25. And this is in that context of the life of the body, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a worshiping, spirit-empowered community. After the secrets of the unbeliever's heart, someone who's visiting their disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship him, saying what? God is among you. Friends, that's what we're after. We want to be the God is really among you, church. 
Do you want to be that? God is among you. And so he's activating gifts and sanctifying Christians, but he's also saving the lost. Amanda and I were talking this week. One of the great stories that I ponder quite often, we were in the back room at Bridgeway Church, and the reverence and awe was coming over about a hundred of us students, and we just couldn't stop dancing and worshiping. And it was ridiculous for about nine months. Brad was right in the thick of it, and some of you were part of that. And I remember one night, the presence of God with great reverence and awe was there so strong that this young lady came in the back of the room, and it hit her like a lightning bolt in her heart. And she said, I've never been around in it. What is happening here? That ache inside of her. And she was deep into the occult. She was sexually broken. Her life was an absolute mess. And merely through the presence of God washing over her and drawing her in, she said, I want whatever this is. And she gave her life to Jesus and went through deliverance and got radically saved. So I'm saying in the coming days, we want to be a God is really among you church. And we want to have people come in. And I'm telling you, they're coming. We'll have agnostics and atheists come into the room. We've been talking about this, right, Jerry? And they're going to get saved. The apologetic, the argument is the love of God. Atheists are going to get saved. There's anger and pain and brokenness behind that. And when the love of the Father hits their heart, they're going to say, I believe. So, Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the Father's love and our opportunity to worship. And I just pray even today, I just sense that this is a turning point for us. You are bringing something in in our worship, and we say yes. Lord, we welcome your presence, the fullness of your presence, and we want to be a worshiping people. Amen?